Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Ciappelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act, juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Go, sir. Somebody's going to start this. I don't know who it is. <laughs> I, I vote I, for the guy with the hat. I, I'll be the, uh, what is it, the ghost of Christmas past? No, I don't know. Is that right? Yeah, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Carol. Yeah, wherever you want. <laughs> I'm going to come in singing. I think that's a different show. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I decided to uh, not rent this hat. I actually bought this hat. It's not you a rent. it. I bought it and I figured I've never worn it. These conversations are always fun. I'm wearing it tonight. Well, we're but, do you digi- but do you digitally <laughs> own the hat? <laughs> I, I do now because I'm digitally <laughs> capturing it. <laughs> now, now it is uh, the, the platform we're recording on. Do they have some stake in it as well? I don't think so. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, will, I will say that I, I have a, a, a friend who, um, who at one point was involved in running a uh, an NFT hat business <laughs> and um, um, the, the Mango platform. And, and, and for a point, um, I had, I had uh, boxes of, of Mango baseball caps in, in my garage <laughs> that technically had, you know, technically had NFTs attached to them and had value. And there was always this like, if the house goes up in flames, how much money is in <laughs> theoretical money and hats do you lose? <laughs> you well, Did you do the calculation? Was it 10 bucks? It was 10 bucks. Uh, it, it, it was at least briefly a lot more than that. It was hundreds of thousands in, in, in hats. <laughs> briefly. That, 
<laughs> briefly that, that, that <laughs> did depreciate over time and no longer have value. <laughs> now I think that the cardboard has more value than the hats. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Well, Sean, did you wear a hat? Sean, did you, have you ever wore a hat driving a car or an Uber or even? <laughs> you could complicate things. No, it's like, like, like it, it, just being yeah. in a car and maybe you lost uh, some property because it became part of the car that you were in. Uh, uh, certainly my information when I, I think we were joking about this before <laughs> renting a car, I've, I've, I've lost my personal driving history for a period as I rented that car. Um, the, the owner of that brand now has it. I'm sure <laughs> probably shares it with the rental company too, or maybe they, they have some agreement. Yeah. But I know, I know of people that have, that have left, uh, in cars and some have gotten it back. Some haven't. Mm. Some left. Some leave things purposefully. <laughs> I no longer. I no longer claim ownership of this. Um, th there's a there's a movie on Netflix called Old, called Old Dads, and it's it's a, a comedy with, with Bill Burr and and a bunch of other folks. And there's a scene in the movie where they, you know, of course, their dads in Los Angeles because it's you know it's a Hollywood movie. There's a scene where they're going to do a, a trip to Las Vegas. Um, and they, they get a, they get a rental car and they're, they're driving out. Actually, it's, they're driving it somewhere near Las Vegas to find this kind of old guru drifter in the desert. And what they don't account for is that they have a rental car and the company that sent them, um, has the rental car turn on uh, basically like a dash cam and record their conversations in the car for purposes of HR. And so because it's a company trip and they're driving in a car rented by the company, um, the, the, you know, it, it, it's part of the comedy, but the company records their conversations, reviews it, and then fires them based on the conversations that they have in the car. <laughs> it's a comedy, yeah. but it's real when it's serious. And it's not it's, funny. Or maybe it yes. is. I don't know. I didn't see it's funny to someone. It, 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 is, it is funny, but it's also very real. <laughs> it is. So like, talking about data ownership, then what 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 is ownership? Like who owns the data? Who owns anything? Do you own it? Or if you if if you say something or do something, then the person capturing it, does that person own it? So what if I record something accidentally? Um, if, I, if I'm in a coffee shop recording myself speak, but I can also hear some background conversation. I'll be right back. Do I own it? If my, if my spouse or my friends are in the other room hearing us speak, um, do can we tell them, hey, you got to forget about what information you got from this conversation? So, what is ownership really? I mean, how do you define ownership? And how can you? Well, certain things you can enforce ownership, but some things you can't. And I think we've we've that whole AI copyright intellectual property debate that thing rears up in terms of whole who owns what. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and even even setting aside ownership, um, it's a matter because a lot of data is public by design, even right? Or it has to be. I mean, even even if it's not public by design, I think there's the company that owns it, and then there's I mean, we've had ex situations where companies sell data, right? Cambridge Analytica, right. for example. I always think of the scenario where I'm I'm visiting somebody's house and they have an Echo, an Amazon Echo or something. And, uh, I, thought, I thought you went in a cave. <laughs> you have an Echo, 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 yeah. Echo, Echo. No, but I but all that stuff's recorded, right? Whatever is said, the music's played, conversations held, the yelling and screaming, whatever else takes place uh, after a lot of a lot of uh, booze is consumed. I mean, all that's. All that's recorded, right? Yes. Presumably by these devices. But you're not even in the house, but it's capturing data outside, the cars passing by, people walking by, yeah. the cameras on my phone. Yeah. So do I own it? So yeah. okay, that's a good question. May I add this? Uh, so I walk the dogs around. There's two homes that have the camera outside. Obviously, it's capturing people on the sidewalk. My camera try not to do that, but it says, Hey you're being recorded and i'm like right. i never authorized you yes. <laughs> so um yeah is that because of, it's outside the property on the sidewalk so you're kind of telling but i'm like yeah i don't think you're supposed to do that no and, and so i i have that in my neighborhood as well like i i, I you know i walk a, a circuit on this kind of large cul-de-sac it's like a figure eight and there are two houses where you go by and, and it goes you're being recorded. I'm like, I didn't give an authorization that you could record me, where what they seem to be doing is saying, we are recording in front of our house. But, you know, I, I can also like, if I'm walking along, and a car goes by, a car in the street triggers that also, like, I, mm -hmm. I will at point at points hear that audio, when I'm going up to the house, because I see a car go by. And so they are motion sensing tracking, not just their yard or the sidewalk, but all the way through to both sides of the road and and basically recording anything there. We are, And that's, I think, part of what we want to get at is that we are entering an age where, where ownership gets blurred, identity is tricky, and consent is sometimes you are present and you can leave. <laughs> uh, question then. Is it better to ask in both the cases where it seems like people were being um, people being, were being respectful and asking for consent, which basically raised the questions in your heads. I did not give you permission, but I'm pretty sure house on that block or 80% of the house on, on in your neighborhood have got a ring camera or a nest camera, which is constantly recording, mm -hmm. and they're not asking anybody for any permission and that we seem to be okay with. So the question then is like, so ownership does ownership of data only comes into play when somebody asks you for consent. Like, is that yours? And then they say, oh yeah, absolutely, that's mine. But if somebody doesn't ask you, that you don't care. So is this is this Schrodinger's cat? Is dead but or alive? You can you can go even. Let's go way back, and then we go back to the to the owning of your own property or whatever it is, or your image, your text, your speaking. So the, the idea that I had when I said, let's talk about this is because it's all of these we're talking about, it's all digital related. 
right? I mean, we're talking about recording, we're talking about music, video, whatever it is. So the idea at the beginning was what happened when we went from analog to to digital, and that was right. possible to change this entire thing of, I didn't buy that thing, uh, but I thought I bought it. Right. Now, instead of renting it, but I have a larger access, uh, I can get a better car because I'm not paying for the entire car. I'm just leasing it or renting it or whatever it is. I can have more music in my library. I can watch any movie I want, not just the, the blockbuster that I bought or that I rented for three three days or whatever that was. So then, mm -hmm. but, but your question about let's define identity, I mean, property, it, it made me think about a, an episode of a comedian that you probably know called Eddie Izzard. And I think he's a genius. And they talks about colonization. When the English went to any other country back in the days in the 1700, 1800 and, and put the flag and he said, we, we just put the flag, this is our territory. And people there would be like, wait a minute, we've been living here for, for many years. And they're like, yes, but do you have a flag? It's like, no, we don't have a flag. But all our family and says like, no flag, no ownership. <laughs> this is our territory. <laughs> so it's very, what I'm saying is very arbitrary to decide what you own or not and very philosophical, but it gets way over the top when you actually can touch things like oh i bought this cup i own it yeah okay so so i think I, you bring up an interesting point I mean, back in the day you could go somewhere and plant a flag i mean we've done that on the moon <laughs> bloody hell USA. or a fence a fence in a in, a, in the western territory no, nobody yeah. bought anything there so, so, so. I think the concept of ownership has changed quite a bit too. I mean, right now, I, mean, I can't go and plant the flag, the flag of Carrie D'Souza from a neighbor's garden, and he's probably going to kick me out unceremoniously. But I think, um, I think so the ownership, the concept of ownership, like even if there's an unclaimed, I guess, is there such thing as an unclaimed property where you can go and just plant your flag and just say, this is, this, I own it now. What does that mean? How, how do we define ownership? Yeah. Do we... I, yeah. Go ahead, Raf. Well, I, I think one part of it is that um, there is ownership of digital goods and the notion that digital goods can generally be replicated, but that individual ownership or access to those digital goods is has gotten to the point of where it replaces some amount of physical goods, but then there's also ownership of physical goods that have digital components. So, you know, on the one hand, we can go, I have, you know, if I had a Tesla, I could go, I own the Tesla, but I don't own the FSD, the full serve, service driving, because I haven't bought access to that. And, you know, that becomes a license. Uh, but it's still, it, it's a physical thing. And you go like, do I own the data? Because this data is connected to the, this physical thing. So that, that's kind of one class. If there's a physical thing that has access and licenses and data, but then on the other hand, you've also got um, digital formats that are replacing physical formats, particularly of media, where you go um, first, you know, the first end of the space was Apple with iTunes, where in 2003, you could purchase music digitally 
That was the first digital store that I'm aware of. The second was Steam, uh, PC games. And everybody kind of gradually replicated that format of, okay, a, a digital information media purchases this 70 30 split and it's this thing that sits in the store and then you have a license that is connected to that store and that's one means and then you you go forward about 10 years and you go okay now we have these streaming licenses and i have a access to a membership of a netflix or spotify or disney plus or or whatever and then you don't own you don't own this nugget of physical uh, of, of digital media you own access to things in their library and so we now have kind of this notion of kind of a subscription access on the one hand or you still have an actual purchase um for different for different types of media but i'd still kind of keep that separate from like you know a car or a house or a, an other physical thing that has that generates some amount of digital information. And then there's a question of, do you own that? And, and we even have that with smart cities, this notion of, you know, like this, they tried to do this in Toronto and it failed because the Google division that was trying to set up a smart cities contract was trying to own the data of the citizens in this neighborhood. And so, you know, a physical construction of an actual neighborhood, you know, several blocks of, of a particular chunk near the waterfront, Google was like, hey, we'll fund a bunch of this, but we want to own the data. We'll make it better, but we want to own the data. So who owns who owns the data becomes hugely important on a connection to a physical thing. But if it's purely digital information, it's, is this access? Is this, I, is this my library? Is this I get a window onto Spotify's library, Pandora's library, um, Warner Brothers library, and do they take that away? And and even with a, I own this th this, I own this nugget that I bought from them. Are there still areas where they can take access to that nugget away, even if I paid money for it, even if if it's not a subscription, can they take it away, or just remove it entirely from their library? They, they can. I mean, I think this is no different than the actual libraries, we, the actual book libraries that we have in our neighborhoods. You, you might go there and, and borrow a book, and but they might decide, you know, that book is outdated, chuck it out, and now you no longer have access to it. And you got to find another. So it's no different from that. But, but for me, then becomes, if I go and read five books and that the intellectual properties owned by the writer and the publishing house and stuff like that. But based on that, I generate my own ideas and write something that's sort of a derivative of these five ideas. So then, then do I give them fractional pieces of my idea? How, not like, if you use chat GPT, then it's fair game. They, <laughs> <laughs> well, chat GPT, I'm, 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 uh, uh, the, New Google Gemini is supposed to be much better than GPT. GPT is sort of kind of funny. Like it's more not, ideas you call GPT, it sort of seems to diminish in what the output is. Or they've just gotten better at creating restraints, so they're not letting people willy-nilly use it to go make me a million bucks. That's never worked, by the right. way. Well, so w one thing I will say is is that 
we are at a point where there are lots of different types of digital ownership being set up. A big thing right now, you know, and it's kind of funny, but it's in any kind of digital ownership, whether it's like the blockchain or cloud or, or you know, a company or a collective or whoever, it's trust built on consistency. Um, and so as an example, um, in the video game space, games were early on into digital ownership, not of like, oh, I've own this sword, but I own the game, that you, you buy a game, you own the game. Games went early on, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, Steam on the PC side, of transitioning from you bought a disc to you bought a digital license to access that, that content. And that became very important because it allowed us to go, now you can have an MO, you have a membership in, in, that, in, in World of Warcraft, you have a subscription, whatever. But the thing is in that it's built on trust and consistency. Um, Sony indirectly did something to break some of that recently. And I don't think that they meant to. And it, technically it's not their fault. It's actually Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, you know, D Warner Brothers Discovery with David Zaslav is changing around a lot of things as they try to find a path to profitability or to selling Warner Brothers. Uh, in the last week, or earlier this week, um, they yanked stuff from the PlayStation TV, you know, PlayStation Store. Um, going back to the PS3, you could buy TV episodes. Um, now, it's one thing to not offer those in the future, but Warner Brothers Discovery made the unusual request to Sony PlayStation of a bunch of these things we are removing the license to, you know, discover some discovery reality shows or documentaries, pull these from your store. People who bought these will no longer have access to the things that they purchased. That breaks trust. That's a thing that should be done very infrequently, if ever, um, because once consumers have purchased a thing, if you say we can rescind that purchase, then once you do that once, you can do that every time. Um, if you if a if a digital store wants to build trust around ownership, it has to have really clear and consistent rules. And the biggest rule in Steam is actually very good about this. They go, you can pull a game, and you can not offer it for future sale. But once you've offered it from sale, we are always going to host that executable, and the people who bought it can always re-download. And in fact, to be fair, Microsoft, Xbox, Sony, PlayStation, Nintendo, with whatever they call their device at the time, they're being better about that. And Nintendo is learning this as they try to have a more consistent kind of cloud store. Once you set up purchases, you always have to have access to those. Um, I, yep. you know, I buy a lot of games. I love the fact that when I got my Xbox Series X, I plugged it in and I had access to the digital purpose purchases you know, because of their compatibility of my original Xbox games, my Xbox 360 games, and my Xbox One games on my Xbox Series X. Like, and, and I'm not like, hey, you know, this is, you know, advertisement this is becoming the base level that consumers are starting to expect. 
to where even Nintendo now understands when they go to Switch 2, they don't necessarily have compatibility backed indefinitely, but the understanding now from consumers, especially game consumers who are early on, is if I have a Switch 2, I should have all my digitally purchased Switch games and probably all my classic games that I bought on my Switch. People are basically like, I want all my stuff. If I bought my stuff, let me keep my stuff. You can put it everywhere you want to, you know, but more and more they want to have that easily accessible. And if it's a license, you want to know that you have a license to that access. If it's purchased, you go, if I ever bought it, I always have all my stuff because it should be the equivalent of if I bought the Blu-ray or the VHS or the DVD and I've got it on my shelf. Exactly. Don't ever, t- because if you if you take away access to the digital stuff, it's like someone came into your house and took the Blu-ray off your shelf and walked off with it. Okay, think how crazy is that? We're, we're kind of like make-believe stuff so they can... Like... I've got plenty of Blu-rays. I wish somebody would come and take it away. I don't want to pay garbage. To <laughs> John, you wanted to say something before, before it. I had so many thoughts in my head. I think... Um, I know we're talking about ownership of, of things here and uh, let, let's go this way. Cause Carrie mentioned something before we started recording about uh, passing things on or down uh, when we, when we leave this earth and then I'll leave my other thought for, for later. Um, perhaps it, it'll feed into that as well. But this idea that we, we, uh, we cherish these things that we've, we've, struggled to make money enough money to buy and 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 enjoy in our lives and and then then we leave right and, and this stuff goes somewhere else we, we the car gets gets passed down maybe it gets sold at auction the, the house gets passed down maybe maybe the kids when the kid lives in it maybe they can't all afford to live in it so that the house gets sold at auction i don't know pick pick all your stuff but when it comes to the data, right? What what about this license, this subscription that you're talking about, Roth? Who, who gets that? Do we actually pass that down? Do people people say my Xbox subscription? But are we who gets diligent? That? And and does yeah. does that happen naturally? I don't know. Thankfully, I haven't had to deal with that. But yeah, or 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 in in a divorce, if you have, yeah. um, you know, if you have two people who purchase stuff together, you know, the current way to do it would be to go like, okay, um, I get the Xbox account and you get the PlayStation account. And you get the games. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 and like, and I get the Apple account, you get the Google account. Like you'd have to divvy it up based on accounts because there isn't a good way currently to go. Okay. We did these purchases with our joint finances and, um, in this particular library, I want this, this, and this, you know, like I, when my ex and I split up, you know, we, we, we split up our, our, our music library. Um, you know, we, we split up our movies. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a whole, you know, there's a bunch of like, well, do you want this one that, you know, like it, it wasn't, you know, it's never easy. It doesn't have to be horrible, but it's still just like, if it's a physical thing, you pass it back and forth. If it's, digital we currently have a notion of accounts connected to a company um and some people have have said you know posited like well the blockchain solves that 
I don't think that the blockchain actually does because the biggest problem with the notion of the blockchain solves it, and I know that Carrie wants to get in on this, is the notion that it's public. And the thing that blockchain advocates forget is that people don't want their private data on the blockchain. I don't want my shopping, if I go grocery shopping, I don't want my shopping list on the blockchain. Because I just don't want people to, yeah, I, I don't want people to know so what movies I rented. If I bought three avocados, like consumer data needs to not be on the blockchain the because avocado. it's private. Like a lottery, <laughs> like five yeah. bucks a piece. Well, <laughs> 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 You're right. I mean, yeah, you don't want so some of the data. You, you, like, I'm the online stuff, like Facebook and social media stuff. That's only public. So who cares about who gets to own that? I mean, Facebook, Meta, Facebook, they own all of that, anyways. But but a lot of your personal data, like your thoughts, your your habits and stuff, which which is captured somewhere. Your reading habits, your listening habits, or the groceries you buy, or the 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 car you drive. All of that is still um and so who owns that data do you need to pass it on or or is it is that data now owned by owned by these companies from who you have purchased stuff or where you've indulged in these things so then they can use it any which way and if they're using your data does your estate or your family do they get the benefits of it like we do that i mean if you're a famous famous singer or an actor your estate would get the the benefits or the proceeds of any any intellectual property that was monetized after your death. So uh, one thing I was I was thinking when I thought about this topic is the the difference between again the tangible and the intangible and how can can we are we able as human to feel affection towards something that it's really not there, right? So Again, you can't touch it, you can't experience it. There's also maybe that idea that if you keep it in the right way, you retain the value. I mean, now I'm going to talk like my dad or my grandfather here, but you know, and 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 also maybe acquire value in time because it become old and then vintage and then an antique, right? And if, and I'm trying to think in my head how I compare. Um, you know, apples and oranges or apple and apple, when I think about the ownership of a digital library of games or music or anything else. And and so by saying this, I'm also like, is this why maybe people are not really putting that much value on data unless you are in the cybersecurity industry or in, or, or in cloud storage? And I mean, the everyday person, I don't know, that do they feel this way? I, well, I think I don't, that the everyday person has, just a really quick point, I think the everyday person isn't fully aware of how much data on the one hand, but also they've been conditioned initially by social media to the notion that they don't actually get to give consent and that they don't really have ownership, like that they may have ownership of their movie purchase, but that they don't necessarily have ownership of the photos that they put up on Facebook um, or the ownership of their advertising profile. Well, I also think that people, and third point, Ralph, I'm going to add to that, is that I also think that people don't understand the value of the data they're putting up. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I think 
want. We've got the, the tangible stuff, the stuff that we we spend uh, most of a majority of our lives working for somebody else to, to basically collect enough money to go and buy stuff. That stuff we tend to own and we have got attachment, but the, I, th- I think the value, and we attach more value to that stuff, but not so much for, if I'm going to Target, or if I'm going to Walmart, or if I'm going to home, wherever I'm going and buying stuff and they collect the patterns, data patterns, I don't necessarily attach value. There's no, it's hard for normal humans to create a value around, okay, it's not going to be the same value of the guitar I bought or the motorcycle or the books I bought or even the music. So it's a different value, right? Um, but your your sales receipt, that's valuable data. And I think that's, that's, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why we potentially don't care much about ownership of that stuff. And this, um, I'm going to tie a few things together here, which is kind of my initial thought, because last week I published a, a newsletter. It was about the collective. Oh, I'm a cybersecurity guy, so everything's around cybersecurity. It's the idea that we have a collective where we would use all of this data that we're talking about and sensors and everybody would have a view of the world around them and would be able to be alerted and spot weird and bad things from taking place. So that's the article. As I was walking through Central Park and up Fifth Avenue today, I was I was looking at the scene as there was some snow falling down. I thought this is this is a beautiful scene right here. And I thought there are cameras everywhere capturing this scene. People walking in their coats with the fur on and their hats, not this hat, but different hats on right? The lights of the cars, the lights, the, the street lamps in the, in the park, this is all being captured. So people's movements, people's activity, all the stuff going on, presumably there are cars with, with sensors and, mm-hmm. uh, and signals coming out and buses and, and who knows whatever, right? Phones certainly. So just massive amounts of data floating around. And I was thinking, are we able to create new worlds from this exact scene right here right now and use that for something else and then it goes to your point raf of technology companies having a desire to create cities right that let's face it probably have a lot of this data to say this is why i would build this city this way people move this way they stop at these lights this way the traffic piles up this way they stop at this starbucks because of all of that, and they don't want to wait over here in the rain, they'd rather go into Starbucks and have have a cup of coffee. All of that decision-making and design and everything comes from all of this data. And I was just picturing this world that every moment that we're living, we're creating a digital version of this world. And I could, I could presumably say, show me, uh, what's today, December 7th, <laughs> New York City, perhaps even me in that scene um 20 30 but, but not really you because it's a parallel it's a parallel universe is it i don't know you know the, this was actually the premise of um i think if i remember correctly it was deja vu um a wait did you just said that <laughs> a, a, a crime th- thriller with uh, denzel, denzel washington where they posited that you create that that you could 
basically go back in time and recreate scenes and then kind of walk into those scenes because of the data that was created that that they were solving the crime by putting together a simulation that they could walk into using the data that had been generated um, and I mean the reality is is that that there is no common pool of all that data but there are a lot of different individual sources of data <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to throw the term digital twin out there because that was the other thing that I was thinking of right where you could actually play out scenes oh. <laughs> and yeah. figure out where things are going to go and perhaps make changes mm -hmm. I don't know but didn't they, didn't yeah. they, wasn't there a Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report, where they sort of did yeah. try to do that? They, that, that? That became rather... Yeah. Well, and, and that, that was, so this was the core idea of, of Deja Vu, which was that they built, that they built a digital twin simulation of this particular part of New Orleans in order to figure out what had happened during this terrorist attack so that they, you know, it was rewinding back in time, running the simulation, and then walking around and looking at, to try to not to like change events, but to go, this thing happened here. I mean, it was basically like sleuthing in the digital twin. I want to point out is that I, I think what you're describing is an entity gets a hold of all of this information somehow, some way, <laughs> and does something purposeful with it. Mm -hmm. right. What I'm suggesting yeah. is we all have access to it at right, all right. times. We in any we device we have access to we have access to it um, in our heads i mean you look at uh, there's so many times you're like oh shit if i'd not said that or done that things could have been <laughs> it's all in here <laughs> well so I'll, I'll i'll bring up a couple of things to to, to throw at you guys to react to so um, yesterday, uh, Meta announced, you know, Meta Facebook announced their new AI image generator that was trained on 1.1 billion Instagram and Facebook photos. Um, so uh, effectively, everything that's been put into, into Facebook and Instagram is, um, is fair game for use. And, you know, to be fair, Meta did they announce that. that they would, they did say that they would do exactly this about, about four or five months ago. Um, so that they just rolled it out. Anyone has access, but basically it's going, hey, any of the stuff that you've put in is grist for the mill and you can generate new images that might be using your images or anyone else's out there. <laughs> so that, that's that's even if you deleted it four or five months ago when you got that news. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 still in it's there. there. Um, well, and, and th there was actually even um, so some people did try to. And there was a further news story after they initially announced this, that uh, that the delete was actually um, literally a, a, a fake lever, that that it deleted nothing, that people confirmed that their information was still in there. <laughs> it, it, it was essentially a PR move. <laughs> Even if you do delete stuff and Facebook makes your account or Meta makes your account inaccessible, that data is still there on their servers. It's not going away. They've just taken your access away. Uh, I mean I'm gonna throw it. I'm gonna throw it some a wrench right here. It's well, I've got a big wrench. You throw your wrench. Yes. Right, go for it. But let me let me throw mine. So uh, you guys got me thinking about how we even decided the constable ownership, right? Because I mean, I, we we take that as a given. You know, I own this land. I own this thing. I own this photo. Okay. How about the shit that is in the photo? 
If I take a photo of someone else, of course, I'm not even supposed to put it there according to the law. And I take a picture of the Empire State Building, I, I already took possession of something that I actually do not own and somebody else does. So th that's my point. Without paying. But, but you've got technology. We talked about technology and ownership. So there's at least four different companies working on connecting the uh, neocortex. And Neuralink is one of the most famous ones, but there's at least three others. There's a couple of companies that are doing it non-invasively. So in which case, they've potentially got access to your thoughts. So now we are stepping into a completely um, foreign territory. We're like, holy shit, you can't even think about it. Yeah. So who owns what then? If you do, they own it. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, and, and BCI is, is a whole you know future area, but a lot of what this gets at is this notion of public and private. Like you, you move it, you know, going back to walking down the street, um, we are starting to understand that we will have recordings of us in the public sphere. We generally don't want to have those in, in the private space at home, but it gets harder to control your image or your being recorded when you are in the public space, whether you are a building like the Empire State Building or you're a person walking down the street, um, that that there are so many recording devices that you realize that you have the potential to be recorded, but it is still really important to try to mediate what type of recording and broadcast of recording. Um, you know, going back to Meta, another thing that's that's kind of concerning is that Meta is going into the space of Google Glass. Um, if you guys remember that a while back, the the Meta Ray-Ban glasses are glasses that look like normal sunglasses, but they have a camera right in the middle, and it's relatively unobtrusive. And there is a light, a white light that comes on. It doesn't blink. It's not colored. Um, that might just look like it's active, but when that light comes on, you are, uh, or the person is wearing the glasses is recording what they're seeing. And the tricky thing is that with that device, the recording is uh, not stored and hosted on the device. It goes to the Facebook servers. Um, there's, there's another company, uh, I was trying to, um, humane, humane AI, the, the humane, humane AI pin, that has a thing that looks kind of like a pager, kind of like a cross yep. between a pager and a pocket, pocket protector. And it has, a, and the same thing as the Ray-Ban uh, Ray glasses, it's a camera and a microphone. And what it records in terms of audio, photos, and video gets sent to their servers. Small devices that are wearable devices that have a limited amount of processing and an antenna and transfer and the data is stored on proprietary servers and the person who pulls it off is pulling it off to access or post but effectively the company that provides the hardware owns the data and how is that these devices now and and so and, and especially when the devices can unobtrusively and pretty much constantly record, and it's not clear when they're recording. Both the, the Humane AI pin and the Meta Ray-Ban glasses 
are both doing the whole Google Glass hole thing all over again. Yep, and they've did sort you of, say glass hole? I think I heard. Yes. I heard glass hole. <laughs> glass hole. <laughs> I think I think the lesson here to like to learn is here is that you can you can data ownership is 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 up for grabs. Anybody can take anybody's data without consent as long as you're sort of doing it in such a way that it's not. Um, it's not, it's not. It's conspicuous. <laughs> as long as you don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't get caught, you're totally good. You know, if you go back to the thing about AI and how oh, they harvested all these books, and now it's going to make up an answer where it's, it's, it's well, using. How different is that? Yeah, how that's that? probably where I'm going. And then basically coming with an answer. How different is that? Like, the whole point is right. that you want an answer. Uh, I mean, every artist has always been inspired by others. You, you you memorize things. And so, I mean, obviously there is, I think it all comes down in this case to to man, money, right? You know, I do something, it's my, there is a proper type value. Um, artistic That's value and, and, and all of that. So we can go back again, who decided that this is your stuff. But lawyers, man. These are, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, an artist, it, it's like I'm making a living out of this. So if you, I need to have something attached to it. And, and, and I understand that. But there is a limit to say when it becomes public domain. So if I go to the museum and I see the Mona Lisa and then I'm a painter and I decide that, hey, it inspired me something. Wait a minute. You can't use it because that's the whole idea came from watching at the Mona Lisa. You owe Leonardo da Vinci a lot of money. Uh, but yeah. But when it comes to invading anything and really capturing and recreating everything around us, I mean, that, that's now we're crossing into not ownership, but privacy and carrying yeah. the two of us already had an episode about, <laughs> about that. So, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, is we're kind of crossing back and forth between data that is information or arts in a medium and data that is privacy. Um, and potentially private telemetry and, and biometry. And, and the problem is it's all kind of getting merged together and we need better laws for navigating it because, you know, here's an, here's an example. If you took the, the Meta Ray-Ban glasses and you went into a movie theater and you used those to watch and record a first run movie in the theater right now, no. that would run afoul of particular laws that have been set up because someone could say, hey, you just recorded Barbenheimer, uh, it, you know, Barbie and, Ar and Oppenheimer in a double feature in their entirety, and you're not allowed to do that because rules were set up to not allow you to record in a theater. So sometimes it's not okay to record when companies push back and go, we don't want our intellectual property to be recorded in the same fashion, but in a very different context, we need to find ways either as individuals or as a society to also push back and go, it's not okay to record me here, or I want to have control over my image in this space, because should, it's not that different from a, from recording in a movie. Theater. Should I bring up the, the bootleg? You remember bootleg in the oh, final? Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm saying is we've always done that. 
It's just that now we got a technology that really allows to do well, now it we, on another I level. Think, yeah. So so then in that case, then every every paparazzi reporter out there taking pictures of famous people oh, yeah. without consent. And they're publishing it left, right, and center. So, like, what? Who owns what data? Like, what do you? Yeah, and and actually, it's it's important to keep in mind that this this has been established legally that if a paparazzi um, records or takes a photo of someone, that while on the one hand the person could try to sue for privacy to not have the photo distributed, and might win or lose that. On the other side, if that celebrity takes that photo by the by the paparazzi and posts that to their Instagram, decides they like the picture, technically they're supposed to get permission because that paparazzi owns the copyright on that photo of them. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a case of and I think that, that the monkey won the case. Wow. That's a day I lost faith in a judicial system completely. Which is all made up anyway. We just make up this this, this lows and roll. We make it up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. um, one, one positive uh, spin on data? Um, so Google, after the whole like their whole push into uh, smart cities in Toronto that failed, in the last few years, Google AI actually did do a good project, um, which is uh, a stoplight at. Uh, program called Project Greenlight, which is traffic calming. And this was a good example of one, one, one of those like few examples of where everyone's like, oh, that's actually not that bad. Like, okay, Google, you did a good thing. You, you, you tried not to be evil. Um, they, <laughs> you really, they, they, do you really stick to your gun? You try not yeah, to be evil? Like, occasionally. I don't know, I don't know yeah. if they tried not to be evil. Ask me in maybe six months or a year. Yes, um, but Project Greenlight was was an interesting program where they essentially said we can analyze the traffic patterns and look at the stoplights, and then we can supply information to the cities to set up more optimized patterns based on AI machine learning analysis of particular sections. Where we can say, if you did this instead of that, then you would have better flow, um, because nobody other than kind of the cities and city planners is really focused on like large scale movement data of traffic in traffic patterns. We're okay with giving up that data. We might be okay with giving up commuter data. Google Maps already basically has all of our commuter data. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and, and, and a bit of Waze and Apple Maps, but mostly Google Maps. But it's when you drill down to the micro where you go, oh, I was directly recorded. Like, oh, somebody put on a Quest 3, tapped it to mixed reality mode, went into a coffee shop and recorded me and maybe my, you know, my laptop screen because they're looking around and they basically got a camera on their head. Um, yeah. When it's individual, that's when we get concerned because we go, that's a privacy invasion. And we do still kind of want to go, I own my privacy, that private data of me, I, I want to own, or at least, or, or at least, at least people who are older still have that notion. A lot of the teenagers are basically like, "Yeah, I don't own anything." <laughs> well, that's not true. I mean, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna uh, challenge you on that. I think, I think 
the, the notion of privacy has changed. What my parents think that is personal and private is very different than what I think. And it's very different from my what my niece and nephew think. And chances are the generation after them. I think that they, they, the definition of privacy or the definition of what data I should own and what I should let go, that's sort of changed and shifted and metamorphosized over the last few generations. I just continue to do that. I think as technology technology evolves and and gets more intertwined with our lives, the notion of what's private and what's public or what should be public and what you should care about is going to keep changing, I think. But let, let's go back to the, the the objects because I'm curious to know who owns Sean's hat. I want to go back to that by, before the end of it. But nothing of this would have been possible without technology getting to a certain point. Like think about the life the, itself. The sharing of the sharing economy. It wasn't that constant before because well maybe it was a communal thing. Oh, we're going to share this horse. <laughs> Take it when you need it in the village. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a certain thing you were sharing it, but the globalization the is technology has allowed all of this. And and where I'm going with this is that there is no coming back. Um, it's but no. this guardrail that we're all talking about nowadays when it comes to AI is again stop bitching about AI because it's not going to be put back into the can because it's outside just enjoy the ride yeah but what can, can what can we do i mean honestly i mean we're not the decision makers here but i don't know maybe some thoughts well, about what, what would be good to do carrie just just about just like everything else like change um change of perception like ai ownership data change our perception stop holding on to the older notions and perception and some stuff is still personal and private and that should be but generally understand that these are tools that are that are there to help you um, live your life, um, have, enrich your life, live your life better. And so as long as you understand that, just do it. Don't, don't help it. Um, so using that, I, I think it's important to, in, in looking at, again at privacy connected to ownership, it's, it's to recognize that whether it is private data or it's public data or it's media data, that it has value. Now, it doesn't mean that that value blocks the conversation, but even, you know, like just to go back to, to the whole, hey, Meta's, you know, Meta's going to take um, people's and Facebook and Instagram uh, pictures and, and feed them into their AI engine that should be a transaction. Um, if people put into Facebook and then Facebook is making a tool, especially if there's any charge for using that tool, it should there should be recompense for the data that is feeding that tool because the tool doesn't exist without the data. And so even if you go, you don't get cons consent to take your things out, there should be some understanding of compensation because otherwise it's saying this data has no value. And clearly 
in all of these AI tools, there's value because there is transaction around the process of gathering the data set around setting up the training libraries, categorizing, filtering, and labeling, and then outputting to the AI companies. There's a whole economy that's mostly hidden to folks um, and partially because it often uses um, sourcing of basically labor from developing countries to gather, like there's a whole human process and human intelligence that feeds into this AI where people just go like the AI tool just happened. No, thousands of people worked on this thing and not just the engineers, but the people who fed this thing. And the reality is that most of the people who worked on it were paid minimum wage in their country. They were paid low amounts in their country, but the data that they're handling was mostly not paid for. So it's not that the AI tools are bad to have, but there needs to be fair compensation for the people who generated the data and for the people who handled the data and brought it there. Because otherwise, the only people who make money are the people at the end product, the AI companies and the cloud companies who are pushing you a tool and going, hey, we made this for free, but now we're going to make money on it. I'd yeah, but then that, that, that raises a very complex question about how do you categorize the value proposition for each piece of data? This data is valued at this much coming from... So it, it, it's, a, it's a super complex... Yeah. Then you know, that, how do you, you could do something very... Well, it could be a movie again, where I, I think if you give value to my data as a, an individual, not the company. Because I think, Rafael, what you said is it's perfect because it has a value that is only tangible for the company, not for the individual. And only has value when it's aggregated into a large amount. It's like you, you're right. a drop of oil. It doesn't do shit. But it, a lot of drop of oils give me power. Yes. And Right? Yeah. So, so if we could yes. get to quantify what my data and, is... And Exactly. And it has to be, because if you think about it, the transition from iTunes to streaming audio with Pandora and, and those streaming audio and streaming video companies are based on quantifying the value of individual pieces of data. And, you know, you, you go like, oh, I mean, to be fair, streaming audio companies still take the majority of the profit for themselves, but they they count out in micro fractions of pennies. Um, across all the streams. They have to, because that was the whole point of the two lawsuits that, Nap that Napster was hit with that shut Napster down, was companies said, you can't, you know, yes, there's a paradigm shift, but you can't just take our, our data and assign no value to it because you have value. Therefore, we have to have value. That whole That's process led to, led to streaming audio and streaming video and the notion that we can then go hey, I open up Disney Plus or Netflix or, you know, library of choice, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. But you have to say, collectively, this all has value. And then you have to find some way to assign value to individual parts of it. Another good example of is uh, Apple, Apple Arcade. Apple Arcade has a, and, and to be fair, Apple, and at this point, Apple, Google, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, and Netflix all do this, where they go, we have a subscription game service, 
and people play stuff and we know what they play because we are the platform. And then what they do is they go, we pay out to developers based on time of engagement, which right. is similar, is slightly different from how, you know, let's say like Pandora or Spotify do it, but it's the same basic principles. You go, I have all this data and I only exist as a platform because of this library of data. And then I've got to pay out to it. So you go with Apple Arcade and you go, they pay out based on going in the last 30 days, what games were played and what was the collective number of hours and minutes and seconds for each game across the range in, in our overall pool. And then you go, I pay each developer for the use of their game by our subscribers. Well, wasn't right. that the model of radio and, and pay royalty to play in a song? I mean, that's yep. been going yeah. on yep. forever. Well, that's what Spotify does. So that's what most of the streaming people do too. But no, I think the, I think the concern there is that the, the proportion of what they make versus the proportion of what they give up. No, I, is. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But and I think Audible has a similar model, right? You, you get credits and you, you, you get books or you can actually pay money. <laughs> yeah in exchange for the book so there's some uh, yeah. some price setting and uh, certainly some supply and demand uh yeah. like you're describing there rough and yeah door gets tricky is i don't know maybe it's not tricky it's just it's easy to see a book or it's easy to see a game and you you interact with that i'm just trying to think yeah. of what the outcome is. is is it a is it an image that's generated and my image contributed to that so i get a slice of it or and i think i think with the music sean it we were used to it right i mean music was already something for rent maybe we didn't pay the rent but the the radio station did mm. now you mentioned audible and it makes me think i'm like okay they do own i guess i own like i don't know more than 200 books on audible <laughs> It's my library. I can look at it. I'm like, oh, I don't have to move all this shit when I when I go in another house, because <laughs> try to move with books, and I can still listen in whenever I want. So yeah, there is a value there. But again, you go to my dad. It's like, no, I'm buying the book, but he has no plan of moving ever. He hasn't moved in who knows how long. I don't know. Yeah. There is value in carrying in all your stuff here too. I don't know. There is. It's all a single point of failure. You lose your phone, you're like completely lost at sea. <laughs> yeah, but if a fire yeah. comes and your library of Alexandria goes in flame, then uh, what you got? Shit. Mm -hmm. At least I can buy another phone, re-log in in my Audible, and all my library is magically there. Maybe. I know, yeah, I know yeah. we're at an hour, but I want to bring up this idea because it goes back to Raf, Raf's... Uh, smart city example where what if there are collectives where we purposefully knowingly <laughs> contribute where we're not expecting to get yeah pay necessarily for the return but we get benefits from the return mm -hmm. so then the smart city example right. let we're all going to put our data in because we know the city's going to get smarter and the experience that we have is going to get better. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not a monetary exchange there necessarily. Maybe there is. I don't know. Maybe on top of it, it's always going to make money somehow. But well, yeah. Waze is a classic example. I mean, you you share your traffic, you share your location, yeah. 
everybody shares that in hopes that you will find a faster route or yeah. so it's a similar model you're getting something out of it so it's not yeah, necessarily I, I go back to the to the exact the very first the very first episode we ever did marco you remember that one it was around oh yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> you're part of this group and if you if you're a subscriber perhaps you get better treatment <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you pay for a premium app, premium maybe account. you get better routes faster yeah, than your routes are than better others. than that. You know, I'm gonna add to this when we said so let's say that you can quantify your data. You know what is going to happen? It's going to happen that somebody's data is gonna be worth it more than somebody else. Mm -hmm. Always. Right? So isn't somebody more I don't know, influential about something. So what it does, maybe, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing there. If you're an athlete, maybe your your biometric may be more important than the guy that, I don't know, smokes a pack a day and sits on his ass. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking. <laughs> I mean, is it going to be an even? Is it every, everybody votes count, count one? With the Does same my influence rise with this uh, with this Egypt hat on, or is it is it dropping? I think you got value there, Sean. Well, you're, you're I, I think I think that it's okay because I, I view it also like in terms of AI tools. Um, if you know, just to use an example, if my collected writings on LinkedIn is weighed against you know Stephen King's um, uh, collected uh, works, he's going to get more value because both his works are more influential than, than my writings mm -hmm. and he has more following, but also he's just written more. Um, and so I, you know, the data shouldn't necessarily just be how, it, it should come down to some amount of like reputation or followers or usage. Um, Context. So, I think yeah, context it's context, well. some amount of content as well. But, you know, like uh, there's another good example of um, there, well, there's Raph, a particular. I mean, how are you using the data, right? The same piece of data yeah. could have different values depending on where it's used and for what it's used. Like Sean's top hat. I mean, if we are shooting <laughs> for the Macintosh, the English toffee Macintosh, hat, or Johnny Walker, red label, be perfect there. <laughs> perfect. But I think context is important. But but um, I, I think yeah. I mean, I think I think it'd be great to to get to a point where we contribute stuff into a system, and the system is beneficial to us. And I think that's the payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Well, I just thinking that you know, just to have a little bit of flashback, and when we were exchanging. Um, I don't know, baseball card maybe in the US. I would exchange uh, I would have changed the soccer players card when I was a kid. And and you were walking out either without any card because you lose them all, or you or you would walk back with a lot of them or an empty hands. And uh, and now I don't know. I don't know. Do kids still play with this thing? I, I think they do. I don't know. I, NFTs, I, man. Now it's all NFTs. Tap your phone. Actually, <laughs> actually, it's it's it's, it's all like Pokemon the cards now. Yeah, so I mean, they they like they do still. There is still 
use for physical things. Um, right. And, you know, I would hope so. Pokemon is, is, is probably one of the best examples. Beyond the Pokemon games, you know, think of this. Uh, during the pandemic, Pokemon cards went through the roof, um, which is funny because a lot of people are supposed to be at home, but mm-hmm. not, not like digital Pokemon cards, physical Pokemon cards. They, some of the numbers I saw were that 40% of all of the Pokemon cards that have been printed over the last 30 years were printed in the last three years. They, they, they were doing billions of Pokemon cards a year in the last few years. And the reality is just that the game has grown even more. It's, it's, it's the biggest, you know, uh-huh. educational or sorry, entertainment IP in the world. But, you know, yes, it's often in anime and in movies and in TV, but it's also just in cards. Like youth are still playing with physical things yeah. um, and, and, and physical cards still have value to them even in a day where they're on their phone constantly. I, I think there's room for everything um, and there'll be value for each one. And I'm just throwing the, the final words here to Sean, which is very well known to have his entire theory about uh, what will have more value in the future. <laughs> uh, you, yep, the, yeah. I think anybody who's listened to me for, uh, for any number of, minutes uh no i have this position that, that i think we, we'll have nostalgia and a longing for these physical things that many of which are being replaced by digital um but we'll we'll recall some of the experiences we've had interacting with physical objects that no longer exist and we'll wish we had them back and i yeah. think because of that uh, the, the value of, of our current world uh, will have more value than, than our digital. So that's, that's kind of my, potentially. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking of the example I gave, I don't know how many years ago it was now in, in the piece I wrote, but riding, a, uh, riding an old wooden roller coaster. I, I don't know if you'll ever replicate that precisely. <laughs> no, no desire. <laughs> no, no desire for that. You might want to do it once, but then... Yeah, but for everyday pleasures, you would want to go and ride the the engineered steel and. and <laughs> there, there's actually a, a the fantastic. Writer, right? Typing on the typewriter, it, it's fantastic. When I just bought a typewriter just for the mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 whole um, the feedback you get from keys and the that stuff is completely. But then would I type a book or a blog post? Something like, no, I'd go mental. but it's nice to so yeah it will suck that that you make a mistake at a certain point and you don't have a control z and and (laughs) you have to rewrite it all again that itself was an out form like how if you're oh yeah you have the white right yeah yeah Yeah, the white keeps trying to do that to me i don't understand Think, think about that. Like we used to have this notion that you wanted to write out something and you wrote it long form. And then that went from writing often in cursive long form to writing through typing on a keyboard, uh, on a typewriter and using whiteout. And then that went to, okay, we've got a computer and we can type out to, oh, you, the computer has autocorrect built in and 
now it has, you know, it can suggest finishing your sentence. Um, I, I was asked, I, I've been asked on LinkedIn, do I use, um, you know, do I use generative AI for when I write? And I go, never. Do I use generative AI at points, you know, it's it, it, experimentally or to understand it? Yes. But the thing that people forget is that we write oftentimes many people to gather our thoughts, to iterate back and forth, to sometimes interrogate a thought enough to be able to explain it through text to another person in the same way that we would do in a conversation. And we haven't let go of the need to do that any more than, than we've let go. We have not let go of the need to have physical things. Yes, we have digital but we don't let go of the physical because we didn't become energy beings. We still greatly enjoy the physical. And what's clear coming out of the pandemic is that everyone is reconnecting with the physical, that we are mediating between going outside and trying to get comfortable doing it again. But we need that balance between the physical and the digital and to find the rights for ownership and identity and privacy and all of that <clears throat> in the same way that we go, hey, yes, we now have computers that can do much more than a typewriter, but however you compose your thoughts, you don't lose the ability to compose your thoughts or the need to compose your thoughts. The medium doesn't change the fact that you still need to figure out what you're thinking. And if you do let go of that, that's as detrimental to your expression as it is to go, hey, I have all this digital stuff, so I'm never going outside. No, there's a world out there. There's a brain in here. We need all of those things still. The frontiers well, don't let go of the old. Well, wait till Neuralink, Neuralink is online. It's all, that, that, that's it. You're done for then. <laughs> On top of that, the typing machine will probably have learned all the things you've written if it was only a way to do so. Neuralink <laughs> and AI, and then that's it. It's game over. Um, but I, no I, I think we should vote. Show. Yeah, we need to go, but we should vote to who owns Sean Hutt. Does he own it? <laughs> Or <laughs> I don't know. It, it, my my daughter owns it. Uh, the, they, I'll pass it down. Right now we all I'll do because it. we're gonna take a screenshot and then we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take it out from you and there and just go. place it on each single one of us. There we go. Yes. And uh, we're gonna we set up speculative it. shares on, on on the blockchain, and then we're going to create virtual versions that we're gonna put into Fortnite and Roblox <laughs> and sell it. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank I'll, you so much I'll be for... for my royalty checks in the mail. <laughs> thank you, everybody, <laughs> for staying with us. You never know when we start and we end. And uh, if you stay tuned, next conversation, we're probably going to take it out straight from here. And it would be nice to talk about how we all use generative AI. I really enjoy those conversations. So use it. You have about a month, all of you, to get really good at it. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Cheers. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. 
the Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.